Broadcasting from occupied territories, War the Flea Media, it's the Reality Dysfunction Podcast. A space where a diverse group of brown folk from across the nation explore the political experiences and social future of our Chicano Latino community. Control the narrative, resist the dysfunction. Hey everyone, this is uh, Dr. Ernesto back with another episode of the Reality Dysfunction. Um, I have some very exciting guests with me today, and I'm going to let them uh, introduce themselves. So we'll start with uh, Scott Duncan. Hi, I'm Scott Duncan, um, Scott Duncan Fernandez, also go by Scott Russell Duncan. I'm a writer and also senior editor at Somos Unescrito Literary Magazine and Press. We've been working on putting together a Chicano science fiction anthology called Porvenir Ya. Hi, I'm Jenny Rizari, and I'm also an editor at the magazine and press, and I'm really happy to be here. I'm uh, Ernest Hogan, a longtime Chicano science fiction writer. In fact, so, so long people call me the father of Chicano science fiction, author of, uh, of, of uh, High Aztec, uh, Cortez on Jupiter, Smoking Your Booth, and lots of short fiction in other places. Hi, everyone. My name is Rosa Marta Villarreal. Uh, first of all, saludos to all my paisan- mis paisanos in Texas. If you're going to be listening in, Uh, some of you may know me from uh, your college courses. Um, Dr. Magdalena is one book that's used a lot. So um, I've been interested in um, the just the heritage, the dual heritage of of Chicano writing in that uh, from our indigenous heritage, we get a lot of um, proto-science fiction in the legends and the way stories are told. And if you go to Spain, like I had, they're, they're just crazy out there too. You go in these little villages, oh yes, down here, this lady comes down and she preaches about a virgin and this is that, you know, so it's just it's our heritage from both ends. We already had the, the raw material for science fiction. So um, that is gonna be my uh, uh, my direction today. So anyways, Rosa Marta Villarreal. Right. This is this is going to be exciting. I was uh, saying to everybody that's on the panel before we started recording that I have been a lifelong uh, science fiction person. I mean, as soon as I could start reading, I was reading science fiction. And so I'm super excited about talking with you all today. I think this is it. You know, like science fiction, you're just able to imagine a whole different world, a whole different way of thinking, different rules, different ideas, you know, and then, and then make those a reality. And, and it's, yeah, love science fiction. So what we're going to do first is let's talk about the book that's coming out. And uh, Scott had mentioned it a little bit earlier, but let's go back to uh, Scott and Jenny. And, you know, let's talk a little bit about the genesis of the book, where the idea for it came from. And, um, you know, what, what it is that you all at uh, Somos Inscritos are hoping to accomplish? Well, I think the uh, idea came, it was pretty much the first thing Armando and I talked about, Armando Rendon, the head editor, when we first met. And uh, he has a large collection of science fiction books. And, you know, we talked about it. And the first thing we talked about was um, like Chicanos and science fiction. And, of course, we talked about Ernest and we talked about Rudy Garcia and we talked about some other books we had read and, and known and, and so, uh, and then recently there, there had been, um, at that time, it's been, you know, about five years ago, um, what, uh, what's it, Latinx Rising and this come out? And we talked about, you know, we really like it. And, but uh, as we read, it's like, we get, you know, it caused me to, it caused me to think about our own representation 
and our own story, right? I think at times we get kind of drowned out by these anthologies that are like that are you know that go for inclusivity, which I'm not not against at all. But if there's only if there's like you know anthologies are limited, they can only have 10 to 15, 20 whatever authors, and two of them are Chicano or Mexican American. <laughs> you know, it's like we don't get really our voice out there. And so, so well, wait a minute, Scott. Just yeah. just so that we're clear and the people who are listening are clear, when you say our voice, what you mean are Chicana, Chicano, Chicanx writers. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh yeah, I have a, a very white name. <laughs> yeah, I'm Chicano. Um, and so for me, it's like there, it's like uh, I, it, and I have to be honest, like when I first I read High Aztec when I was in grad school, and it's like you don't know sometimes you need something till you see it, right? And that was uh, a pretty freeing moment for me where I saw like what's possible, what I always wanted, because I, I recall having read all these stories and you sublimate, you push yourself down, you know, because you're, you're not the, you or someone like you is not the main character, and they look at you as the other, the foreigner, the weirdo, whatever, and, or, you know, someone to be dominated, like through, a lot of times metaphor, right? I always say it's the rubber suit. The only time you see Chicano on TV or Indian is in a rubber suit to be, uh, you know, to be beaten or, or blasted. And, you know, it's, it doesn't all boil down to that all the time, but it's like we want, and um, we have people here that can speak to this better than me. It's like uh, uh, Hogan said, being Chicano is a science fiction state of being, right? And that's, and I think for me, Armando and I, and, and Jenny, we all talked about this anthology can, could be a place of imagination. And it's like where we could see ourselves, imagine ourselves to be, we're still a people informing in some ways, right? We, we can see what we could, what we can be, right? And so basically that's where it came. And we, and we decided to, uh, we, we run this uh, contest every year called the Extra Fiction Contest. So that actually Ernest also judges that. And so we got to know a bit more, you know, through the years, a bit more authors that write science fiction or write like speculative fiction, write fantasy, write, you know, and it's also kind of um, there's a lot of overlap because a lot of kind of like literature or whatnot, whatever people are writing, it's all kind of like this. Is, these are all kind of labels that kind of describe kind of the same things, right? And so we kind of approached some people and they all said yes. And so we, we've, um, we decided to put this book out called El Porvenir Yap. <laughs> right. And those, for those of uh, uh, who are listening, who are linguistically challenged, how would you trans? How would you translate the title? Anyone? Oh, the future now. The future now. Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right. That's a great title, Jenny. I I know you got. I know you want to weigh in on this. Well, so Scott and I have had a series of uh, friendly discussions and even arguments since we've been talking about the anthology, because I was really stubbornly, in my mind, not a science fiction or speculative fiction fan. But then I started to think about all these writers whose writing I did like, and the satire, sort of dystopian satire I did like, the offering up of possibilities for the future that were maybe very scary or maybe very full of like things getting better and other options. And I realized, oh, I do like sci-fi. It's just that in my mind, it was, it had to have a spaceship or something. Or I'd been told by so many people throughout my life that I couldn't like sci-fi because I didn't like exactly which fandom they were a part of or something. Um, so I, I'm really excited because I, you know, reading the extra fiction contest entries, reading the pieces in this anthology, I thought, oh, this is, I, I've just been in denial. And this whole time, these are the kind of themes I've often gravitated towards when I've looked for books to read. 
but I just got caught up in like sci-fi oftentimes thinking of it as something that was like outside the realm of near future possibility instead of thinking oh no oftentimes it's very much in the moment like a maybe imagining the future or imagining the past or imagining time travel but through the lens of a lot of things that are relevant issues for whoever's writing it that's the one thing that I've always uh once I got to a, a certain age anyways and thinking about what I was reading other than just you know like reading it for entertainment it, it, it always struck me you know how uh science fiction even though it's supposed to be about the future or all this but it it's really you know so much like like all literature critique of the moment you know that that we live in and I, I think that's really important but that brings me to my question one of my questions for the authors is uh why is it so important for chicanos right as as uh, descendants of indigenous people who you could arguably say already live in a dystopian reality right how how important is it for us to participate in this genre to write science fiction I, either uh rosa marta or, or ernest well, I, I, I can i can go also I, i'd like to basically say that uh my mate, my mother's maiden name is Garcia. I was born in East LA. Uh, my my first years were spent in on on Barney Beach Place and eat place you know right next to Twitter Boulevard. So you know, just just in case anybody was wondering, you you, you can't see me. Uh, uh, but uh, but basically, I, I always saw even even back in the fifties and when I was a, a, a kid in East LA. Uh, Science fiction was part of the landscape. It came in through television. There was Space Patrol, Commando, Cody. Uh, my, I remember one of my great things in my childhood was seeing a Forbidden Planet on an, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an East LA drive-in. Uh, you know, so so uh, so uh, that that was always thing. But but as you're saying, we we do live this strange reality where we're we're not quite perfectly meshed in with the with the with the with the, with the, with the dominant culture. So we 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 kind of almost live like aliens. I remember, as a kid, I used to have. You know, have these going to school i would i would get through the by fantasizing that i was basically this this alien somehow dropped into, into this school and and, and, that, and that's how i was dealing with all these all, all these people from this place called back east you know you know that and, and all that and and that, that was sort of a, a part of my strategy for survival and I, as i got older that the you know it, it, it seemed like we were living in a science fiction world like but you know, 1969, I was starting to go into high school. Uh, the, the, we landed on the moon for the first time. It seemed like, oh, wow, a lot of this stuff's becoming real. And uh, I, and I basically, I, I found out that a science fiction magazine was actually being published around the corner from where I lived in, in, in West Covina at the time. And, uh, and through, through the, the Crawfords, who, who published Spaceway Magazine and did Fantasy Publishing Company Incorporated and, and later did, did Grand Science Fiction Convention, I got to really meet a lot of People in science fiction, and so it all—it seemed like very natural for me to to want to want to get into this uh, industry. And also, I've always had more imagination than, than my own damn good. So, so I, it was just uh, you know, you know, I, I it, it was a, it was excuse a great place where I could use, take advantage of it. And uh, and uh, you know that that that, that basically it, it it seemed, but I, but I but basically they say we we, we are. God, I I, I kind of I, I hate the term minority, but and, and I keep hearing that lately the the, the under un. Un, underrepresented minorities, but I guess that's what we are. All you often, all you have is the future. Sometimes you know, you know, you know, you know. Though we do have a rich past in history. I, I was Yad, I was impressed by all the time travel stories, and I realized, you know, damn, you know, history is what we're all about. It's this history that people have forgotten, and we're, we're bringing back and all that. So, but we say we we, we basically have this this kind of unique, very strange uh, take on things. 
that uh, for me just seems to be very natural for science fiction. I, I uh, and also I always felt that the, the, the future starts now, and I was always been more interested in 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 what's 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 happening in the in you know, the next couple of decades. Uh, then you know, I mean, the, the, the far future stuff is fun for 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 fooling around and all that. But the, but to me, the, the real heart is you know how how are we going to get from here to there, and especially when there's all these issues going on right now that we really need to address. You know, when I was when I was working on my dissertation, one of the ideas that I came across was uh, something that R- Ward Churchill had written when he was talking about being an indigenous, and he made reference to this idea of future history. And talking about, you know, how the history of indigenous people is, is really the future, you know, of the world that we live in. And I have to say, I had to take a couple of days off and think about that. Now, there might be some people who are listening who are like, whatever, you know, but I mean, really, the more I thought about it, the more I was just like, you know, what, what a powerful way to really think about what it is that we're doing and, and the, and the, and the world that we, we could be creating to think about it as, as future history. And that that is that is indigenous history, is future history. But Rosa Marta, you were talking about when you were in Spain. And I was just wondering if maybe you could elaborate on that a little bit more in terms of, of the question. I, I, you know, and thinking about all of the different all of the different pieces that are funneling down into these into these moments that we're living in right now. Well, if we look at Spanish history, for example. We tend to think of uh, things like Spain is Europe, but Spain has always been separate from Europe in that it has these, these imaginary boundaries. You know that in, in, in during the Second World War, Spain had different sized railroad tracks to keep out other people from coming in. They were very guarded about their history, which is, and their belief systems, which is very, uh, rooted in mysticism and especially Catholic mysticism, but it's also a confluence of three great cultures, the Catholic culture, the Muslim culture, and the Jewish culture. And the Jewish and Muslim cultures also bring their mysticism and ways of storytelling. And so from that stew right here, they brought that to the Americas and then it, it it almost like it like the like the Indians the Indian indigenous cultures were like the twin. Uh, and this is why uh, Carlos Fuentes, is my favorite writer, calls it like a buried mirror. Somewhere in the world there was a buried mirror, and these two cultures who never met each other had a similar sensibility in how they perceived reality. Now, if we look at reality, as uh, uh, Levi Strauss said, as being a construct. It's how our minds construct what we see. If you come from a deconstructed culture, which I think we are, in that we have different perceptions, cultural perceptions of the world, then we can perceive that there is more than just what we are saying is real. In other words, real is bigger. Real is Time is, is not just linear, it's not just circular, but it's simultaneous. That I have this line in Dr. Magdalena that said, in Mexico City, the navel of the moon, because a, a piece of the moon shot off from space when the universe was being created and made the valley of Mexico, that there, time piles again uh, on top of time. 
time never moves. It just stacks up on each other. And therefore, past and present happen simultaneously. Someone else may say, oh, that's not real, but it is. We just, it's just how you construct your reality. And I think the science fiction writer, what he or she does is that given the, we have the passport of fiction to be able to deconstruct the, the, the present into a larger present, into a larger place where past, present, future coexist. I had actually read something um, that, that says that, um, that remarking on uh, Chicano science fiction saying, it's uh, attempts to disrupt imposed European time to return to like a more like um, indigenous time, which you know I guess is uh, you know many societies had different like like counts of the time whatnot. Um, but the other thing I wanted to mention when it comes to apocalyptic um, story, like how Native people have been in this apocalypse, when we had the section of Pobrenir uh, Ya. Where we put like you know these kind of post-apocalyptic stories and whatnot, we, we labeled it apocalyptic Aklan, and then in the uh, and then in our little description of it, we say this is the nonfiction of Chicano science fiction. Actually, I think what what what, uh, what Russell said about uh, deconstructed uh, culture, which is actually I think we, what we are, and we're, we're and and one thing when you're when you're in that city, you kind of you, you can't help but you got to kind of reconstruct your culture in order to try to. Uh, to find yourself, you know, or, or figure out who you are and all that. And in doing that, you're out, you're coming up with something that isn't the past and also is not, uh, is not agreeing with the, with the, with the dominant culture of culture. Often, often just by accident, you're creating something that's very much like science fiction, even though, even though you're, you're you may not be trying to do that. Uh, my, my, when I write about, uh, try to do like the nonfiction, people tell me, oh, this is very imaginative. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's, so uh, it just seems to be the way I see things. I think that's absolutely true. I mean, it's uh, the the very first thing that when you were saying that, when actually when you were both speaking, I mean, what what really jumps to mind, sort of like enamored with this idea of this return to history, right? That that comes through in the writings of Amilcar Cabral, and he's talking about overthrowing how how uh, how uh, colonized people overthrow. Uh, colonialism, right, is that they have to re- they have to return to history, and and he's not saying that they go back and live like they did, you know, five hundred years ago, but that they, you know, like you were just saying, Ernest, that they they have to think up this new thing that's somehow connected to the past, but is also provides sort of like the the juice, so to say, like the political and cultural juice that allows them to to move past. Um, you know, the, the moment that they're in, right? Because, I mean, if you, if you think about even the history that we're living, I mean, you could make an argument that we're not even really living our history right now, right? That we're actually living the history of the settler. And so to think, and I think it takes us back to like what Churchill was saying and talking about indigenous history is, is future history. And, and uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Nick Estes uh, also sort of revisits that idea in uh, his book, I can't remember which one it was about. It's about the stuff that happened up in um, uh, North Dakota, you know, and to think about the role that that I think, you know, science fiction can play in in terms of that and in really helping people to see how it could be different. The world, it could be different. I think that if we can see something and we can explain it, then it can be true. 
how do we do that? You know, how do we explain the near future? Um, do we explain it as a continuing, you know, indigenous apocalypse, you know, or do we explain it as, oh, look at this is this is what we can do to change things. And I, I, I think it's interesting if I understood what you were just saying a second ago. I think it's really interesting that that the more realistic stuff that you're doing that people are like, oh, that's really imaginative. <laughs> I mean, I think that when people think about like indigenous liberation, I think that's about as science fictiony as it gets for a lot of people. They're just like, well, what do you mean? Because of yeah, what it entails. Oh yeah. Well, reading up about that, about basically our, our culture and all this sort of stuff there is, is it's like an incredible uh, thing for, for science fiction ideas. People ask me, where do you get your ideas? Well, you know, I, 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 I I'm plugged into this very rich, volatile culture that is, that is also, also creating new things, new identities, new ways of life. Uh, you, you know, uh, I, I mean, every 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 couple of decades, there's sort of sort of a, we, uh, in different parts of the world, we, we're seeing these new things that, that are all kind of connected to the whole Chicano thing. And uh, I, I'm just so it, 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 it's just very inspirational. And uh, and I, I'm glad to see more more writers are, are starting to do that. We're we're we're, we're, uh, we're Chicano writers are, are suddenly. Uh, appearing and, and doing this because it, it uh, i think it's just going to create better better fiction for everybody you know i think the the work of both these writers like uh, does this reconnection i've seen i mean like in rosa martha's uh dr magdalena the main character she i mean i'm, I'm gonna spoil anything but like she she uh, it's been around for a long time yeah, yeah it's been around but yeah so she she goes through a kind of magical market and she reconnects with some uh goddesses right and and then like time goes like um, skips around and goes a little bit crazy, but it's a reconnection, the reforming. It's a different manner of healing. For me, that's con- absolutely does that and, and like reforms and reconnects. And like in Ernest uh, Hogan's um, like, High Aztec, absolutely. That's a, it, he describes a world of where like a Mexica resurgence where people speak Nahuatl um, is the future people. And then, there is a uh, a virus that that's experimental virus that kind of takes different religions and uh, the main character gets infected and then affected again and so like he takes all these heritages and, and aspects and and there's a, a re, like reforming of worldviews essentially. Jenny, did you want to jump in? I think one of the reasons that we all had a sense of urgency about the book is that the various climate disasters that are happening are making it very apparent that there has to be an adaptation of science that's been around for a long time. So in California, finally, there's a little bit of a a recognition of fire ecology and how it can help the plants and how it can actually like allow humans to continue to survive. And there's a lot of discussion around dams that were constructed and how those are gonna have to change and the whole relationship to water will have to change if salmon will be able to continue to be alive if all of these different plants and animals are gonna be able to continue to be alive and that we have to completely change the settler imposed relationship to every, our entire environment and all the living creatures around us. I recently took a, a road trip from Prescott to San Jose, California. And once we hit California the whole way, it was like billboard after billboard after billboard after yard sign what about the dams and what are you doing with the water? And I mean, it was, it was intense, man. I was like, this is, this is a thing that's happening here. So I was wondering if maybe uh, you guys could talk a little bit 
about the stories that you're writing for this particular anthology? Maybe some of the other stories. And then if Ernest and uh, Rosa Marta are, are willing um, just to, you know, sort of give us a, you know, an overview of, of what it is that they're doing for this book. Ernest, do you want to go first? Or? Okay. Well, well I say, I, 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 I actually, since uh, judging the extra fiction contest, I, I kind of noticed that a lot of these stories were, were stories that were, that I originally read as, as, as judging the contest there, they, they were, they were finalists in, in there. And so basically the, the contest is generating uh, things. That, and I was always glad, I, the worst thing, I always feel bad about a, con- a writing contest because, because, uh, uh, you know, there, there's all these good stories that get recognized but not published. Like this, this, this just made me feel really good. And uh, and also, basically, as he said, there's there's a Mar- Mario Asensio, Fred Le- Lechuga, oh, and of course uh, Rudy Garcia. Yeah, you know, you know, the, the, you know who, I, who I've known for cohorts of, of mine. I was basically impressed with the, the wide range of their stuff from uh, from uh, near future things to uh, space opera. And uh, and once I mentioned before, lots of time travel. You know, we're, we're we seem to be all about history and also rediscovering history you know i keep i keep making that we have these arguments that that that, that about our history that can only be solved if somebody invents a time machine you know you know we're, we're doing that so i was very impressed by all that but also just overall overall it was just just it showed it, it showed the the sort of the chicano imagination and and, and what it could do and uh, basically as for my story it was kind of inspired by my my uh, recent ventures, I took a road trip outside of Aslan into uh, Northern, Cal- Northern California and, and, and Wyoming and various other, uh, you know, the, the, that whole area. I, I'm beginning to call uh, Sasquatchlandia because uh, you see uh, Sasquatch seems to be the, 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 the national air animal of that part of the world. You, 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 whether or not they exist and all that, you, you, you see them painted every, you know, I ate at Sasquatch donuts and, and all these places have, have it almost as their mas- mascot. And so, so I, I was, and also, but also I was noticing I, that I, that I would see Mexican food places everywhere. And so it seemed it seemed to be that you can even even in uh, up in like Washington, you can go to a a a, a Mexican restaurant uh, that uh, it, it, it dressed almost like a, like a like a Disneyland version of Mexico in, in, inside it. But but also you 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 go, you go by the kitchen and you'll get yep. People are speaking Spanish in there. Yeah, you know they're 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 uh, so the, 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 these people are recent arrivals, arrivals, and uh, so so this, uh, you know, uh, Baslan is kind of expanding into Sasbashlandia. Yeah, you know, so I, I that that's kind of what my story is about, and and uh, and uh, and it's sort of like what I saw, sort of the latest thing I saw happening, and uh, so did you, did you have any, anything else, there, Martha? Yeah, I do. I, I like to talk a little bit about. Uh, the genesis for my story, which is called the uh, navel of the Aztec moon. Mm -hmm. And I'm going back to that concept of the, uh, this part of the moon hitting the earth and that's the Valley of Mexico. And again, I've always wondered, how did these people, how did the, 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 the Nahua wise men know this? Unless consciousness can transcend time space Mm -hmm. and I think this is what we had there so I took that idea and I'm also a a big uh, believer in the genealogy of literature and I have my Carlos Fuentes right here one of my favorite books and yeah and um, my story the the navel of the Aztec moon is actually a continuation of the story and if you're familiar with the story, it is a story about a historian who represents the male patriarchal worldview. He goes into this house of this woman, Aura, 
or, or the Senora Consuelo, who is also Aura, and she is both herself as a young person, as an old person. And that's his journey of discovery by discovering that he also discovers himself. But this is the way Fuentes ends his story because of the love story between Felipe and, and Senor Consuelo. He says, you plunge your face, you, your eyes open into Consuelo's uh, silver white hair and you'll embrace her again when the clouds cover the moon and when you're both hidden again, when the memory of youth, of youth re-embodied rules the darkness. She'll come back, Felipe. We'll bring her back together. Let me recover my strength and we'll bring her back. And the initial title for the story was, she'll come back. Mm -hmm. And so I take the same, this is the, the third version. My story is the third version of the story. The first one was um, Henry James's, uh, the, um, is it the Aspirin Papers? Yes, the Aspirin Papers. And then Carlos Fuentes rewrote it in what they call magical realism. And when I read this, I said, that's not magical realism, it's science fiction. Because we're talking about transcending time space, about Consuelo being the old woman and the young woman simultaneously. And this place, the, the house where it's all in darkness and darkness symbolizing the eternity, you know, the, of, the, uh, of the other self that we have. There's light and there's dark, there's the moon and the sun. And um, Felipe emerging himself in that world. And so what I said, I said, okay, well, I'm going to do the science fiction version of it. So you have the three, the three people, but instead of a two, an old woman, a young woman, and a young man, we have the old man, the young man, and the young woman in there. And the, the story is told or retold from the perspective of a science fiction. The young woman is a physicist. And so when they put the ad out for the person, they wanted someone, uh, the, the, the historian wanted someone to explain how it was that his wife came back or could get his wife back again to what is the science of this thing, this phenomenon. And so that's where I got the, the idea that somehow uh, there is a portal that opened in Mexico City, in the Valley of Mexico, where all of these things happen and it has spread around the world. And now the, the characters are trying to explain all that. So that's, that's the concept of my story here. And I won't tell you, I won't say the story because Scott and then Armando will kill me. <laughs> they hate it when I kill them. That's an <laughs> awesome story. That's great. Also, I, I've kind of found that in a, in a sufficiently technologically advanced society, uh, magic realism tends to become indistinguishable from science fiction. Because exactly. you know, like, like if you were trying to write a, 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 a magic realism story about a Zoom, about a Zoom meeting, uh, it, it would, it would, you couldn't help but make it sound like science fiction, you know? Exactly, I mean, there really magical realism was kind of a, kind of a condescending term for, the fiction that was written from our sensibility, from our cultural heritage, where we have our constructs are wider. They're not as condensed as those of Western Europe. And it really is, you know, if you, if you know a little bit about quantum mechanics and quantum physics and, and uh, the time-space uh, fabric and continuum, you know that what we've been writing all along since 
pre-Columbian times has been what we call today science fiction. It's just a continuation of the same tradition, but clothed in the words of the, the technological language of science. Never thought about it like that. I, I just had a, I had a, I just had a serious moment. I'm not even <laughs> kidding. No, that seriously, you just blew me away with that. I mean, because you're right. That's exactly what it is. That's crazy. Oh, it's going to change a lot of things in some of my classes. <laughs> it really is. It's, it's going to change some things about the way that I talk about some of the books that we read. That's, that's incredible. I think, but you know, you know what? Oh my God, that's really smart. The, um, is that a compliment? Yeah, that's a compliment. Yeah. Right, thank yeah. You. Thank you. Yeah. Um, oh, somebody else talk. I don't even know what to say. I'm still I, thinking. I don't about want to say that the whole progression of magic really, I mean, I'm in agreement a hundred percent with, um, with Ernest and, uh, Rosa Martha. It's just, uh, the whole progression, how it used to be something, it used to be like, like I would say, in the '90s used to be something that um, foreign only, like in literature, like oh, it's only G Gabriel Garcia Marquez or someone from South America, you know, no, like it started in Mexico, of course, could do, and then like uh, oh no, like domestic, you domestic Mexicans can't do anything, you know, or whatever, until like oh, uh, only you guys are capable of this, and as if it's and patting our heads on it, and now everyone does it, and and taking away all the. Um, all the labeling they had did. It has to be political. It has to have a sense of carnivalesque. It has to all other stuff, but that's all out the window and they call it magic realism. I think it's kind of like, and now it's like not, not something that they say necessarily um, is belongs to us because they decided that they, they want to do it, essentially, yeah. you know. If I may interject in here, there's, when I was teaching intro to literature at Cosumnes uh, River College, um, I had, I was using a book, it's called the, uh, Latin, uh, uh, so it's about Latin American women writers. And all of these stories, in fact, there's a bunch of stories. Let me, let me get away from that, what I was just saying. There are a group of stories that all take place in the navel of the moon in Mexico City, where, and, and one of them is, um, uh, gosh darn it, I'll try it. One of them is Aura. The other one is a story by Amparo Davila, where a man sees himself. It's himself, not a double, it's himself, living simultaneously in the same reality, knowing the same people. And he, she doesn't explain how this is, it just is. And then there's another story, um, is it by Elena Garro? Yes, it's by Elena Garro, where this woman crosses the bridge and she goes back to her, who she was in, in the time of the conquest, when she was the, the, the wife of, of an Aztec warrior. And she goes back and forth and people say, oh, we saw Laura with that horrible Indian, going to see Indian, this, this and that. And it was her husband. And, and it was, it is her, it is just this, this bridge over what that water represents, not just H2O, but the rivers of time. And if she goes over the river of time, she goes back and forth. And so there's something there that we're not quite getting yet. Our science hasn't caught up. See, this this is the thing about what they call magical realism. The science is catching up to what our imaginations have already revealed to be true. And it is our heritage right here and the way we perceive things that 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 allows us to we, we, it is it like it for venir. It is the future. We have been telling the stories 
in this, what they call futuristic way, but it, all it is is just telling it how it is. And now the science is starting to explain what it is, but it's always been there. And, and it's, you know, I, I think it's, I think this is why this book is important because it will, it will add to the corpus of our work to our, the genealogy of literature where we can, um, where we can reintroduce people to this other way of seeing things. Because there is not just, now I'm getting into, into uh, postmodern theory here. I'm gonna stop right here because <laughs> it's gone for a while and, and uh, you know, not everyone's interested in that. But anyways, our stories are important mm -hmm. because for the lack of a better word, they are universal. This is the human experience. We are the visionaries. We are the seers, the, the writer, the creative, the painter. The, I mean, they, we see and we feel what everyone has within them, but we have the way to express it for them. And we're expressing that this is the reality is much bigger than, than what we perceive. What we've been told is, is, is the real reality. Hell yeah. yeah. That's wow. that's yeah. Hell yeah. That's what's up. I mean, I yes. I agree. I, I don't even I just I mean I even feel like saying I agree is not adequate enough. Yes. I can add in a week follow up that I've had a billion arguments cuz I don't actually really believe in nonfiction or like as in nonfiction stories and which brings me to the head with a lot of my friends on white only memoir, right? Because I, I, cause I tell them, like, so you're not writing about every meal you had. You're not writing about every thought you, you had or about, like, the time you tripped a little bit. So it's, it's, a it's a recreation, which is an artifice, which is fiction, right? So it's like you're really putting out your point of view of, at this certain time of you had of that certain time. And so there's not – so it's all point of view and all what we think. It's all, like, uh, a recreated worldview, and so, I mean, let's go along with what Rosa Martha saying. And sister, anytime you want to talk about about postmodernism, <laughs> you can come to the reality dysfunction. That's that's what we do here. Right. We we swim in the ocean of postmodernism. Right. We're all like, are you sure? No. <laughs> that's your new tagline. Yeah, well, we swim in the ocean of postmodernism. Yeah. yeah, that won't turn anybody off. The uh... <laughs> wow. Okay, so. Um, we're also trying a new thing here and we're trying to keep our episodes to about 30 minutes uh, because we noticed that people listen to them more <laughs> or they listen to them all the way through. And so we're, we're pretty much at 30 minutes right now, but you all are geniuses. I mean, seriously, this has been one of the, this has been a great conversation. It's been one of the best conversations I've had in a long time, but who would like the last word? You want to talk about the book? You want to tell us when it's coming out, uh, you know, anything. I mean, tell us, um, give us the, give us the, the, the skinny. Maybe, uh, maybe me and, J I don't know. I don't want exactly the last word, but I mean, I just want to mention like, these are some of my favorite writers right here. Um, it's always an honor and always, you know, mind expanding to, t to speak with them and read their work. And, um, and I think, uh, you know, and it goes to other, like other writers in El Porvenir Ya. It's, it's, uh, it's coming out this January. It's coming out this month. Uh, we're, we're, it's, you know, it, any, any time between now, the ninth to the end of the month, 31st. So it's uh, keep your eye out for it. 
Um, it's kind of hard to predict sometimes. Um, we got to like, you know, argue a few things out. Uh, Jenny, we'd like to add anything. I totally second what, what Scott said. And I, yeah, these, the authors, not only the authors here, but all of the authors in this anthology are, you know, some of the best sci-fi writers out there. So, I, you know, there's time travel stories about reconsidering events and trying to provide healing for family members, trying to deal with trauma. There are multiple timelines interacting um, in terms of a like a lateral bus line, but it's intersecting with different points in time and different events and also someone, a veteran dealing with PTSD and that timeline that's sort of like always going on for him and may not be going on in the same way for people around him. Uh, there's stories about reconsidering the point of view from which history is told and even like who, whose accounts and narratives a PhD history student is, is considering and she encounters people that may be the same people, but at different points in time, but all of those points in time are happening simultaneously. Um, and there's, there's much, much more. Those are just a few of the, the stories that are, you know, that are in there. So where, where will people be able to buy this book at? How, how do you purchase this, this tome? Or where do you purchase it? Uh, you'll be able to look at on our website, somelsonscreepfield.com. You could also go to Amazon to, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Barnes and Noble. <laughs> Barnes and Noble, okay. And uh, what's the other one? Book Bookshop. And um, and then, you know, some, like, uh, you can ask for it at your local bookstore, and they'll pick it up, and you can get it from there as well. Okay. Hey, Scott and Jenny, it's good to see you two again. Uh, Ernest and uh, Rosa Marta, we, this is our first time meeting. Thank you. I, I am, congratulations on your book, by good, the way. Good to meet you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm honored to be a part of this conversation. I mean, this was this was good. I, I look forward to any future collaborations. All right. Cool. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. This is the reality dysfunction.